Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to Undrafted, a Dynasty Game Theory podcast brought to you by the Undroppables. I am your host, Scott Belanger, a.k.a. Jax Falcone. You can find me on Twitter at Dino Game Theory. This is episode number 163. Let's roll. Semi-finals in the fantasy football space. Everybody's crazy. I mean, here's the deal. If you're out of it, you're probably not even listening. People are just so tuned out. Once they're out, they just it's such a it's such a uh, a race to the finish. We're so tired. We're so fatigued setting lineups, doing waivers, everything. I think it sometimes is a war of attrition at this particular point. If you're still able to pay attention, it's so funny, you know, the waiver wire, you know, there's just less and less people putting in waiver claims. The the whole thing, you just watch your leagues. They just start to dwindle. They're drying out like a fruit on the on the counter. It's so amazing to watch happen. But for those of us who are still in it, in a, in, in, in a dynasty league or in a, a redraft league, no more important time of year than right now. And I think, you know, what I always think about right now is like, I'm just trying to wait, hold, wait, wait to start talking about next year in Dynasty. It's still this year. You'll see so much content out there. You know, people talking about Malik Neighbors and, you know, Harrison and who's better. It's starting to create that energy and that hype around next year. We got plenty of time for that. Trust me when I tell you, plenty of time. But right now is win time. Right now is money time. You know, if you're in best ball, nothing you can do, but now's the time when you're going to make some money or not redraft money time dynasty this is definitely money time for dynasty and i have a guest this week that's going to help me figure it out a little bit some of you have some start sits we're going to look at this this week's slate and you know the cool thing about it is that we're just going to talk about whatever we want in that regard and we're going to bounce around some dynasty ideas for sure but we're going to look at the week's slate and i have nobody better joining me than my friend josh larkey from the 33rd team who just grinds all day long and is really trying to figure it out always. One of the hardest working people in fantasy and has earned everything he's gotten. My friend Josh Larkey joins me this week. You can find Josh on Twitter at jlarkeytweets. 
Josh, how are you, sir? Scott, I'm doing well. What is this like four years of knowing each other in the industry at this point? It's, it's been a while. It's been a long road. I'm excited for this. Yes. A lot of money on the line here. Like you said, I, like interest overall might start to wane in fantasy, mm. but even if like fewer people are interested, the ones that are still interested are like hyper interested right now. So this is a very fun time because week 16, week 17, it's the, the precious few. Yes. Uh, they're just sponges at this point with information. That's right. Yeah. I mean, if you're in one league that you're in the semifinals, it's important. You know, if you're in 10, 15, 20, I've seen some people out there in 30 semis, if they're playing a ton of leagues, obviously the start sits become that much more magnified. Um, you know, one of the gifts we got, this is, we're recording this, uh, you know, Wednesday afternoon, it'll drop uh, Thursday, you know, in the middle of the day, but, um, you know, so just before the game, but, you know, we just got word that Jonathan Taylor went through a full practice. I think to me, that's kind of big news because I've been saying, you know, you know, when he got hurt, you know, whatever it was three weeks ago, I was like, is he a sell or is he a hold? And we kind of settled on, he was a hold for this moment. Are you starting Jonathan Taylor with confidence, at least based off what we see so far? Like, let's just assume that going forward, he is a is a go for this week and announced in that fashion. Are you good to go? I mean, why wouldn't we play him? Zach Moss has a shoulder injury. It's the the same side of his body that the broken arm from this preseason was on. Why? Why would Zach Moss play? Why would they make him play? Yep. Atlanta I, agree. I don't this think week, they will, by the way. I, I agree with you. Yeah. Yeah. Moss won't play. Uh, Atlanta this week, you, all the metrics point to them just not being a great matchup for fantasy running backs. But there's a few running backs where I just don't care about that kind of stuff. Taylor's one of them. We yeah. know that Taylor's explosive. We know that the Indianapolis offensive line is strong. Yep. If I were, if I had a coach of the year vote, I'd give it to Shane Steichen. What yeah. the Colts have done in terms of overperforming on both sides of the ball is ridiculous. So I, I think versus Atlanta, he's going to get 20 carries. Probably gonna be I love reasonably that efficient. I love and then that week too. 17, like. We couldn't ask for more than the Raiders. Right. A run funnel defense. Yep. Oh, yeah. If you can get through with JT this week, yeah, you're set up for next week. So all the JT teams, I think, are lined up pretty well. You would have loved to have seen him maybe get like the the 20 to 50% share last week where it's like, oh, he's good. Everything's good. You know, maybe one big play and you're like, all right, you'd feel a little bit more comfortable. But I don't see any way that you can really sit him um, just because, as you point out, his explosion, big playability – are, are lined up for you. It was also, what was it? A thumb? Yeah. I mean, yeah. Come on, people. Are we really going to be that worried about a thumb? It's one thing if he's coming off an ankle sprain guys, it's a, it's a freaking thumb. Urban I, at Meyer, this point, hey, hey, Urban, Myers, season, Urban Meyer somewhere is like looking around going, what are, what are these guys talking about? You know, but other than Urban Meyer, nobody worries about their thumb. Scott McCaffrey, yes. Kyron Williams. Is there anybody else that you want rest of season over Taylor? I, I think he might be my RB three. For these next yeah, two that, weeks. That, that, that makes sense. I mean, certainly McCaffrey, bro. I mean, holy smokes, is he cooking? Um, you know, I, I'm a Rashad White. I mean, he's got a good matchup this week and he's been getting targets. I mean, you could do a lot worse than Rashad White. I mean, he has just been found money just week after week. He's just been so consistently involved. You know, the volume is there. And if he can make a couple big plays, um, I'm not looking at who he's got next week, but, you know, Jacksonville, not bad at home. Um, you know, I like Rashad White quite a bit. Yeah, Rashad White's my running back five for Mm. fantasy this week. I mean, he gets it done on both sides, whether or like both facets on the ground through the air. Jaguars, they're reasonably stingy on the ground. I don't really care, though, because through the air, they've allowed the most receptions per game to running backs. 
That's yes. Rashad White's bread and butter. Most of us are playing in half or full PPR leagues. Not a lot of standard going on. No. So I really like Rashad White this week. Next week, he gets the Saints. That's a little bit tougher. Yep. Uh, I wouldn't say that's a good matchup, but White's one of like, what, eight, nine running backs. That's just kind of matchup proof where no matter yeah. what, he's going to be a top 15 option. You can't really get him out of there. That's so, right. Yeah, I, I'm very optimistic about White, especially for this week. He's amenable to either game script. You know what I mean? If they're if they're running, he gets it. If they're passing, he gets it. So it's like it just kind of doesn't really matter with him, which is why he's been so consistent. He hasn't been that explosive in, in terms of like, you know, RB1, RB2 uh, weeks, you know, uh, overall meaning. You know, I think he's had one RB1 overall week. And other than that, like, you know, he's been RB6 to RB12 or whatever. But look, that's that's awesome. If you know you're getting that, who wouldn't sign up for that? You know, and another player I have to ask uh, about before we kind of move to some stuff that we had planned was um, Ty Chandler. I'm going to read you something, a quote from Kevin O'Connell, um, uh, you know, about Madison. This is about Madison. He says, we're, we're kind of building with the mindset that Ty is going to be a guy we're trying to get the ball to a lot, both in the run and the pass. If we have Alex, that's going to be a huge bonus for the depth and making sure we have our full group available. In other words, I don't think even if Alexander Madison plays, it sounds like he's depth behind Ty Chandler, who wants to get a lot of a lot of touches in both the run and the pass game. I mean, I'm all in. And and hearing that, you know, I don't know if you've looked at Ty Chandler and the and the matchup he's got this week, but how confidently are you starting Ty Chandler and where do you have him in your rankings this week? Yeah, right now I have Ty Chandler RB twenty for the week. Lions, not a great matchup for running no. backs, but what, what we saw last week was ridiculous. I, I touted Chandler last week on the basis of there's nobody else there. Kanae right. Wongwu is a special teamer, and I was like, I don't know if the undersized Ty Chandler, because Ty Chandler is like 205 pounds, right? but he's actually a small 205 because he's 5'11". He's built a little bit more like a wide receiver, kind of has that Tony Pollard type build where that's not really a running back that generally is going to get all the touches. And I was like, I, I don't really know if he's getting more than 15 touches, but I know he's getting at least 15 because I just don't see anybody else there. And then what, what happened surprised me. 23 of the 24 running back carries, all four running back targets. When, when the guy's going to have 27 opportunities and turns it into 157 total yards, a touchdown, 25 fantasy points. We like that as fantasy managers, the Vikings love the 157 guys. That's more than one and a half football fields of production from Chandler alone. Yeah. And I, Madison has the high ankle sprain. He was terrible this year before it. I, I mean, he's probably yeah. not going to return week 17 either. And week 17 is the Packers fourth, yeah. most rushing yards per game allowed to running backs. That is a matchup we love. So Detroit, I think he just gets there on volume and because yeah. he runs like a four, three, eight, 40 time. And then Green Bay, I that that feels like what what we saw last week from James Cook wouldn't, wouldn't mm. surprise me if Chandler has 20 song carries for 150, 160, 170 yards on the ground against the Packers, where the Vikings are desperate to sneak into the playoffs. And you might as well see what you have in Chandler. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny with Chandler because it's like the matchup isn't great. You know, you see it's funny. I don't know if you know you set your lineups on sleeper or whatever, and it's like, you know, the, the opponents in red, you're like, mm. You know, it's Ty Chandler, opponents in red. I mean, it's just a simple evaluation that most of us do when we're setting multiple lineups. I know you dive a bit, a bit deeper than the red dot. But, you know, my point is, is that, you know, seeing that and then thinking, okay, bad matchup, Ty Chandler, not sure what he is. Is Alexander Madison coming back? A lot of people might be shying away from Ty Chandler. I guess what I'm getting at is 
if I'm splitting the difference, he's kind of a big play guy. If he can, you know, if he can bust one because of that speed you mentioned and, and the usage last week and those words coming from Kevin O'Connell, I think he might still get volume almost no matter what in this matchup. And they might need to, well, it's obviously you need to score to win, but they might need to score to win. Meaning, you know, Detroit has been putting it on people. So, uh, you know, I, I don't know. It, it's going to be, an, it, it'll be interesting. I mean, he could totally goose egg because he's Ty Chandler. You know what I mean? It's like, not like he has some sort of track record uh, of excellence in the league, but my gosh, you know, when I'm making that decision in some flex spots, he's very tempting to, to throw in the lineup. That's for sure. Yeah. They still haven't done anything. It's still just Chandler and Wong Wu. Uh, I looked and Wong Wu's, he only had one carry last week. His career high over his three seasons is five carries in the game. Mm. This is really just not someone that they are ever going to give any kind of volume to. Yeah. And uh, like, I guess they could promote like Miles Gaskin or Dwayne McBride from the practice squad. We haven't really seen anything like that happen. So as far as I'm concerned, we, we've got 20 more touches on tap for Chandler this week. You mentioned it at the top. Um, you know, hey, you asked me, do, do I have anybody above Kyron and, and CMC? You, you said the word, Kyron Williams. I mean, he is basically just, you know, one and two, which is crazy. I do have them, in the, them both in one league, uh, which looks really good at the top of the lineup. But, um, you know, so Kyron, I, 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 look, here's the deal. This Saints-Rams game, you're just playing – you know, all the studs. I mean, you're not going to really, it's just harder earlier in the week, I guess, to make some decisions. I don't know if there's any tough decisions in this first game. You know, you're playing Puka, you're playing cup, um, you're playing Stafford and Superflex. Um, maybe Olave is a question. I mean, but it's really hard to sit Olave if he's, if he's in the lineup. Uh, it, it, what do you, I mean, you got to agree with that. I mean, it sounds like Olave is going to play and he's just a jam him in guy, no matter what. Yeah. Uh, I'd say so. He's my wide receiver 11 right now. Uh, Don't have too much to say other than you want a guy that gets 25% target share and those targets kind of deep down the field. Not a lot of target competition there. Derek Carr is actually just perfectly fine. And I'm pretty confident that Stafford in this offense put up points against the Saints and forced them to try and put up points. And Carr actually played pretty well last week through three touchdowns. Uh, Overall, pretty clean game with no weapons at all. So... Yeah, I'm optimistic about Olave. I've kind of had him as a fringe wide receiver one in fantasy all year just based on the usage he's getting. First half of the season, it was rough. Second half of the season, he's been quite productive. Yeah, totally with you. And it brings me to the the one sort of dynasty question I had here, which is, okay, so yeah, I agree with you. I think, you know, sometimes early, it's like you have some tough decisions. I think the good thing about this Saints at Rams game is like, you kind of just play all your studs and any fringe guys probably probably ignore them because you know you're you're going to want to see how the week plays out and get a little closer to Sunday Saturday and Sunday's games to to make those tougher decisions. So if someone's on the fringe, I wouldn't play them in the game. Uh, that being said, though, you know like Demarcus Robinson, right? you know, look for a different type of you know flyer later in the in the week. But Kyron now, Kyron is like, I, I mean, I've been having the dynasty question for weeks now, and the dynasty question is sort of like. What is Kyron Williams? And I, you know, in Dynasty, is the RB10? Is the RB15? Is the RB6? Like, I know a lot of people, and, and I, I asked the question this way to a lot of people. If you knew that Kyron Williams would get the same role he has today for the duration of 2024, he is the RB what in Dynasty? You know? Yeah, I'd say he's probably on the fringes of top five, if that was the case, right? where. Uh oh man, that's that's a good one. Like it's B. John Robinson's question. ahead of him. 
I have McCaffrey ahead of him. Uh, I'd have Brees Gibbs, Hall ahead of Brees him. Brees Hall, right? I'd have Gibbs. Uh, you start to talk about A chain, and you're like, okay. Yeah, well, I'd probably have A chain, and then next thing you know, yeah, it's like it's like there he is, Kyron right? and Jonathan Taylor, <laughs> right? Hmm. He's right there, yeah, I think seven that's or part eight. Of that next group. Yes, if you knew he was getting it. It, but but we've seen this movie before so many times, Josh, where, you know, it's like the guy, James Robinson corollary. I'm not saying that Kyron is James Robinson. I actually think he's got a much better shot at, at a clear path in 2024 than um, than James Robinson did for many reasons. But including the fact that, that Najee Harris, Travis Etienne and Javante Williams aren't in this draft and maybe Travion Williams isn't in the draft either. So, you know, it's a little bit thinner free agent uh, market for him. It's a little bit thinner draft market for him. So I think he's got fewer bullets to dodge. That being said, I, I just don't know, man, because, I, you know, part of me says, you know, go against the grain here and sell high on Kyron. And maybe I will where I have him after the season. I'm certainly not doing it right now. I'll wait till week 17. But he's he's a conundrum, you know. And I think he kind of maybe is very similar um, to another conundrum who I would have ahead of him regardless. But James Cook, um, what do you think about James Cook? Yeah, so Kyron, I would lean towards sell. He doesn't have the draft capital. Matthew Stafford might not be a Los Angeles Ram next year. Mm. Cooper Cup's getting old. There's just a lot at play where the the situation could shift. James Mm. Cook, I'm much more optimistic about. He has the second round draft capital. He still has two years on his rookie deal. He'll play both of those seasons with Josh Allen. Mm. So we know that the offensive environment at least will be high scoring. So Cook, I'm much more interested in. I like this take. That, that's that's generally how I do it is like if, if the guy's got draft capital, we know that we like the offense for multiple years. That's about all we can ask for with these dynasty running backs. Kyron, if someone's giving me a 2024 first, unless I think I truly need him to compete right this instant, then I'm just getting rid of him. We we see this every single year. We we saw yeah. it this year. Uh, Rashad White, Kyron Williams, Gus Edwards, Brian Robinson, like they're James Cook. There's so many running backs that just kind of show up every single year that I'm pretty okay just flipping them and trying to trust the the young wide receiver talent and franchise quarterbacks and building out my roster since I mainly play super flex just trying to build out through quarterback and receiver and running back I really just don't care about right. I I never want to be the guy that's holding the bag on these running backs it is very very hard for a young receiver or a franchise quarterback's value to implode this was a yes. nightmare year for like Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert. Nobody cares. Yeah. Nobody's like, wow, I hate this guy in Dynasty. I need to panic sell him. Whereas like at the, at the running back position, a guy has a bad season and it's like, oh, this is this is the end. Yeah, you, I mean, you can get a third yeah. for him now. <laughs> yeah, look what jo- Deshaun Watson went through and he's still fine. Like, in, you know, I mean, it's all good. It's all good. So, yeah, if that were, if that were a running back, he'd be out of the league for sure. No matter his talent, actually. I think if that were JT, he'd be out of the league. Um, Mm -hmm. But quarterbacks, no. Um, All right. So, you know, when we talk about James Cook, it brings us to this Bills at Chargers game, which I think is has a few interesting players, certainly, especially when you start to think about start sits. You know, it's a it's that early Saturday game, if I'm not mistaken. And um, am I right? Yeah, it's the Saturday game. Saturday night game. Excuse me. Saturday night. Yeah, because the Bengals play earlier. Yep. It's Bengals Steelers afternoon. Yep. Chargers Bills night. Yep, yep. So anyway, um, you know, the the idea here is that, you know, I think 
So I look at this Austin Eckler situation and I'm terrified. I'm absolutely terrified of Austin Eckler because not just because of the the thing where he ran slow. I don't know if you saw him with Matt Harmon kind of trying to dispel seen, the fact that he, I'm a Chargers fan. So I've unfortunately seen all the clips of slow yeah. Eckler this year. Slow Eckler didn't look good. And he kind of was defending himself saying, my ankles were taped and this, that's so, look, I, I love Eckler. I mean, I, but you know, I mean, if your ankles are so bad that you tape them in such a fashion that you run that slow, maybe that's another problem. I don't know. I mean, like, I don't know that that's like a, Oh, well, there it is. No problem then. Um, you know, so whatever the case, you know, Eckler's scary, but even if Eckler was full speed right now, uh, you know, Easton stick is not giving me any confidence that this offense is going to matriculate the ball down the field. And for those reasons, Austin Eckler could come up very, very small uh, in week 16 when you need him the most. How are you treating Austin Eckler this week? Yeah, Eckler's a tough one. Uh, just yeah. in general, I don't like this Chargers offense at all. The betting markets have the implied team total for the Chargers as the lowest out of every single team this week. Mm. That should give you cause for concern just to begin with. Last week was terrible. He had five carries. Josh Kelly had five carries. Isaiah Spiller had 16 carries. Eckler did have six targets in the passing game. That's good. People were concerned about Easton Stick and his 40 time from like seven years ago. I didn't quite understand why everyone assumed Easton Stick was like this Konami quarterback. I was like, guys, uh, in week 14, he played nearly the whole game in relief of Justin Herbert and didn't run the ball once. He's a late twenties. I don't know what you were, we're supposed to expect. He's probably going to check the ball down. Sure enough, he checked it down. Fortunately, it was to Eckler, but still, if there's minimal touchdown upside, if he's not going to get the carries, if we just don't like the efficiency of this passing offense, then I don't really know what's going on here. Why would Eckler play and risk injury at this point? If he's clearly playing through something, yep. I, I think what happened was the high ankle sprain from earlier this year is still lingering. That's yes. usually what we see from players is that it's just a lost season. We saw that with Jonathan Taylor a couple of years ago. It's usually just a lost season. We saw it with Saquon a couple of years ago. The high yep. ankle sprain usually means the, the season is over for these running backs. I guess unless your name is Kyron Williams, then your season's pretty much over. So yeah, I, I just I, have I really <laughs> little faith. Like it wouldn't surprise me if Eckler had a great game. I wouldn't be like, oh, we couldn't have seen this coming. Right. But if we're trying to like weigh floor, I, I think his floor is lower than about 20 running backs this week. Terrifying. Absolutely. I mean, his floor is terrifying. And if you're, if you're shoving him in there based off projections, based off name brand, I don't, I don't agree. I think, you know, it's like, I've got a, I'm looking at like Chuba Hubbard and Zeke Elliott and saying, I think I'd rather play Chuba. And that sounds fucking stupid, but I, do you have Chuba ahead of Eckler this week? Uh, they're, they're neck and neck. So yeah. I, I'll probably move Chuba up. I just, the more I look at this Bills Chargers game, the more I think nothing's going to happen. Because, For them, yeah, it's like Ty Chandler yeah. or Eckler. It's like I would play Ty Chandler. I, I can't find a person where I'm, if I'm playing for all the money that I'm, but here's the thing. We know Austin Eckler can make that move look stupid, you know? So it's like, fuck. You know, it's just you want to make that right decision, and it's such a hard one to to calculate because I do believe in Austin Eckler's greatness. You know what I'm saying? It's not like, oh, he sucks, or whatever. but the the game environment, as you point out, is bad. The injury, the the whole idea. He, look, he only played like 30 or 40 percent of the snaps. I know that was in a blowout, and I know that that you know could just be the fact that they were down 42 nothing at half, and they're like, all right. But he was playing in the second half, and so. 
I, I don't really know what to make of it. I, I'm terrified. And, you know, I guess mm-hmm. I'm just saying, if you've got better options, go away from Austin Eckler. Another player in this game who's facing one of the softest secondaries is the is the Buffalo passing game, which includes someone who has been a huge letdown four times in the last seven weeks, which is Gabe Davis. Gabe Davis, you know, with a couple of goose eggs, you know, he could be the squeaky wheel who gets the, you know, hey, man, wink, wink, I'll get you a couple of tutties today. I mean, because they're going to be kicking the shit out of uh, the Chargers unless something really, really wonky happens. And so they may not be, uh, you know, passing very much, which is also kind of a concern. What are your thoughts about, you know, Gabe Davis sort of swinging from the heels if you're playing in a deep league? Obviously, in most, you know, shallow leagues, I'm not playing him at all. But I play in some 12 and 14 deep dynasty leagues, and I'm obviously rostering Gabe in a couple. And it's kind of like, I'm like, damn, the matchup's good. I think they're going to score a lot of points. It should be very easy for for Josh to make some big plays. But will they need to? It's sort of I'm sort of weighing some things out. Um, what are your thoughts here about Gabe and that, that Buffalo passing game? The way I see it is if you're projected to have a pretty competitive fantasy matchup, Gabe Davis is probably not your guy. Right. He has zero fantasy points three of his past four games. In the middle of those zeros was a 22.5 fantasy point outburst. I kind of think about it like you're projected to lose your matchup a little bit, especially in deeper leagues, throw him into the flex spot, and you have massive 20-point upside there. He's hit 20 PPR points four games this year. Right. Not it's many crazy. other receivers can claim that. Yeah. But if you have a competitive matchup, then you really, really don't want to have that zero sitting there. And against the Chargers, it's a terrible secondary. If they want Gabe Davis to get work, he will. He'll be successful. I I just really don't know why they would. Yeah. The, the Chargers can't really stop anybody. I think it's going to be a pretty run-heavy attack. Cooks averaged 17 carries per game the last four games, which is when they switched from fired offensive coordinator Ken Dorsey to Joe Brady. And in those four games, not only has Cook had 17 carries a game, but Ty Johnson and Latavius Murray have combined for 13. That's Mm. 30 running back carries a game. It's pretty hard to find a team that's better than that in terms of total touches for the running backs on the ground. And I I think against the Chargers, we could see 35, 40 rush attempts if they decide to where they just rest this passing offense. There, there's mm. no sense showing teams what you can do, pushing the pace at all if you don't need to. The Bills yeah. are trying to gear up for a deep playoff run, and they get the Chargers this week. And then unfortunately for everyone out there, with Gabe Davis, with Stephon Diggs, guys, you, you got Bailey Zappi's Patriots in Week 17. Two games where the Bills really don't have to do much. Right. Yep. No, I, I agree. It, it's like it, it could go either way. Obviously, there could just be a complete pass funnel where a couple of play action passes lead to Diggs and Shakir and Davis just ripping it. And, you know, Josh doesn't have to throw much, but he's got four touchdown passes at the end of the day. You know, it could be one of those. But you're right. They may not need to. They could just salt it away early. A couple pick sixes type of thing. You know what I mean? The game is so irregular. It's so hard to predict exactly how they'll have to win that it's it's a little bit a uh, little bit scary. So even though it's a great matchup, I am also dubious. You know, we we we've been talking about Gabe Davis all no not all year, but the the way we've been talking about him is you know, you just shove him in because you're going to get those 20 point outbursts and you're going to get some zeros and as long as you can live with the variance, you know, don't try and pick the week that he's great. You know, if if he's good enough, so to speak, on his average points to be in your lineup, leave him in. If he's not, then don't. But, you know, don't 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 try and, you know, pick the be right with him because you're probably not going to be able to do so. 
Uh, all that being said, it's it's a little scary when he's when he's zeroed out three out of three out of four or five times, as you point out. So, yeah, not good. I wonder how many players in history have had four 20 point games and three or four zero point games wide receivers like that and played in all the games like that doesn't really happen very often, I'm guessing. Yeah, probably not. Even Will Fuller wasn't quite this low floor. Yeah. Will Fuller was getting you like six yeah. still. Yeah. So, no, it's yeah, true. I, I'm, I'm thinking Gabe Davis, uh, I might have to crunch numbers at some point, but if we made a boom bust score, he might be number one. Yes. Yeah. I've been, I've been thinking about making that, uh, that type of data and, uh, you know, uh, sort of a consistency, um, you know, ranking, so to speak. Uh, it'd be fun to play around with it. But in any event, we go to the Bengals Steelers. Jamar Chase is out. Kind of will lend me to my question that I was thinking a little bit about in Dynasty. Are you are you one of these players that tends to try and you know push everything all in or really make some very aggressive trades if you're in the semis right now to make sure that you've got enough points on your roster? Or are you a little bit more you know sort of you know dance with the girl that got you there type of type of mentality? I generally stand pat. Yeah. So it's a couple week sample. I, I don't really understand why we, we should be like fundamentally changing a lot of our team. If your team got you there, it's probably pretty good. If it's a fraudulent team and your, your points for is terrible and you just got lucky. Well then adding a player isn't going to do much either. So yeah. I, I generally just ride it out. I think Me that's too. how dynasty teams really, really hurt themselves. Long-term is you go all in for a year. Maybe you win, maybe you don't. And then next thing you know, the, the next few seasons are really painful. So uh, if you think that you can get someone who will also help you next year, I'd consider it. So like I, I think if you're competing yeah, and you believe Kyron Williams is the starting running back for the Rams next year, sure, try to acquire him. Sure. But if you're like, oh, I need to win this week and I really like Aaron Jones against the Panthers. Right. Cool. Like if you, if you really want Aaron Jones, get him. But like giving up a second round pick or – plus something else or whatever you do like that, that's probably going to bite you long-term. I don't think he does much next year. And it's a much different situation when it's literally a one to two game rental. And I say one to two games because players don't owe it. They're not like legally required to have fantasy points each week. And you could trade for a guy and he struggles this week. And now you are literally out of the playoffs and there goes your second round pick for next year. That's right. Yeah, I had a I had a, a patron or whatever I, I can't remember who, uh, but anyway, they asked me the question: um, uh, should I should I trade my twenty four first for Mike Evans because I'm nervous about who to play on my flex? And he had some actually some pretty good running backs, uh, even A Chan or whatever, Monty and A Chan, whatever. And I was like, absolutely, do not do that. <laughs> you know what I mean? I was like, do not do that. Do not trade your twenty four first for Mike Evans to have him included in the choice of who to play in your flex. That's not how you play. And as you point out, if he's, you know, if he, if he doesn't, you know, you have plenty of other options in your flex. If you have no options in your flex, then kind of that may be a problem with your team to begin with. And don't necessarily, you know, trade there. I, you know, I put out some feelers for, you know, for Ty Chandler, for Jerome Ford, for Ezekiel Elliott, for James Connor. And I offered thirds for all these types of players. And quite frankly, if someone says yes, great. If not, I'm just, I'm almost just as happy if they decline because it's like, shit, now I got Zeke, fuck, you know. But in a couple of spots where I could use an extra flex in a deep league, I've sent out some offers for players like that, but I'm using minimal capital to do so. I don't want to be spending premium capital, a 24 first, something that's going to 
absolutely appreciate and value and could could net you a much larger return. Look, that first and maybe another first round pick could get you like Jalen Hurts or some shit, you know? And here you are spending it on Mike Evans. Mike Evans in a first isn't getting you Jalen Hurts, if you know what I mean. Um, you know, mm-hmm. he, he's not going to cr- create that value. And he might not, as you point out, win you the league either. There's no guarantee. Look, I've always said I'll pay a 24 first right now in every league I'm in if I can win every one of them. I will i don't even have to get anything back. I'll just give you the 24 first if you can guarantee I'm going to win. But unfortunately, doing that doesn't guarantee you a win. It only guarantees that you don't have your first. Yeah, that's how I think about it. I, I think like a general good rule is if a player won't be able to help you in a major way next year, that's a third or later. I generally keep my firsts and seconds for players that I think will help me compete this year and the next year since there's just so much variance in these small sample size fantasy playoffs that I don't want to give up capital that will affect me long term for one, maybe two games. Yes. When I've I've seen so many times where, you know, you can say, well, it's a late first. I will tell you a late first plus another first. And those could two be when someone sees two firsts, they're like. Give up, you know, any, you can get almost any player, not any player, but just about, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you throw two firsts at someone, they're like, dude, two firsts. So I, I don't know, man. You know, but if you say Mike Evans and Amari Cooper or Mike Evans and Kyron Williams or whatever, I don't know, you know, you're not necessarily getting that player. But if you throw two firsts, and that just sort of illustrates the value of those firsts as liquid assets, you know, it doesn't mean that who you're going to draft there is specifically going to be better than whomever you're trading for, whether it be Kyron Williams or Mike Evans. It just means that if, if, if that player doesn't help you win, the liquid asset of the, of the first is so much more valuable to you in order to actually get good players down the stretch, uh, down, down the line, excuse me. Um, speaking of good players down the stretch, Jamar Chase is out. I would be open to trading Jamar Chase for, you know, let's say a, a Amon Ra St. Brown or a CD Lamb type of player at least I would be. Um, I've asked for a little bit more on top in a couple situations, been declined. Again, it's not the end of the world, but hey, if someone wants to buy in on Chase and they want to give me something like that, a productive player that I can plug into my lineup, I think that's a different type of trade. I'm sure you're okay with something like that, eh? Uh, I think I'd keep Chase. Yeah. I generally don't like to sell low on this type of player. Me neither. So, uh, if I if I really really was desperate and I thought Almond Raw's helping me win this year, I'd still want something else in return in addition to Almond Raw. Sure. I just feel like if you're selling Chase right now, you're selling him at probably his lowest value of the next few years, where he he kind of got injured at the absolute worst time. Totally. He's a freak athlete. Last year he broke his hip and then returned and averaged like 20 fantasy points a game to close out the year. I think we're we're just kind of pissed that he's missing the fantasy playoffs and that Burrow yeah. is also out. So I, I don't think at this point I would sell Chase because you're selling him based on his injury and the Burrow injury. And I think that's just too much right there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like I said, I, I said I felt like, you know, two players who are in the top five dynasty wide receivers, I think two players who are both very young and can give me very similar production to Chase over the next three to five years. Um, I know that I certainly have Chase ahead of, well, I don't know if I have Chase ahead of CD right now. He's playing amazing, but certainly in the same ballpark. And and yeah, if you want to say that Chase is, you know, that much better, I'll go with it. But at the end of the day, if it's a big money league and you've got a really good team that was mm-hmm. being led, um, you know, I'm all about winning the money. So it is a calculus, I would say. I wouldn't do so if your team's not the favorite. If you were just getting by and now you lost Chase, I would not make a, a rash trade 
Um, and one league that I have him in I, where I tried to flip him for the lamb situation. And, you know, it's like, okay, I, I would only really target like lamb, Amon Ra, uh, Jefferson. And actually I think those four players were actually on either my team or the other guy I'm trading with. So it's like, mm-hmm. you know, there's only so many opportunities cause I'm not going to trade down to like, you know, I'm not trading chase for Michael Pittman as much as I love Michael Pittman. It's just not going to be something I'm doing that's selling low to me uh, selling, f- uh, you know, for Amon Ron getting plus on top, maybe even a, a piece that can help you, you know, th- this year, if you need it or something like that, I think it's a little bit different. Again, if you're going for all the money, you've got a team that can win it. You know, if, if someone like chase or lamb is in the lineup and you have a big hole, totally different. So case by case, but I appreciate your, your, uh, your, your uh, commentary. What about, um, Hmm. I, I know where I want to go because we talked about him too. The game to finish the semis. I just want to jump there because this is the one that I think is like, I mean, come on, it's Christmas night and it's going to be 49ers at Baltimore. I can't even, I, I mean, I don't know, dude. It's going to be so awesome watching that game. It's going to be the greatest spectacle. It's almost better than the Super Bowl in some way. I mean, this fucking game, you know, 49ers at Baltimore, two of the maybe the two best teams in the, in the NFL, certainly AFC, NFC, right. And, 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 mm-hmm. and all the semifinals will be on the line. You know, everybody's got CMC or Lamar or whatever, you know, Debo, IU Kittle. There's so much going on here. How good is this game going to be? And how excited are you for it? Real football. This is definitely the game of the week. Oh yeah. It's the, the best AFC team, the best NFC team. They're going at it. For fantasy, I actually think this game might end up being an under. Mm-hmm. The the Ravens, I, I just don't trust this offense each week. I trust their their defense sort of in general, but the Niners look like kind of the one. I think that we can think of the Niners kind of like the Mahomes Chiefs of every year but this one where you just kind of have to have unique rules for them and that it doesn't really matter who they're playing. Defenses kind of play to them and adjust to them rather mm-hmm. than the other way around. So I, I think yes. the Niners can put up points. <clears throat> I think the the Ravens are going to try to slow the game down and they might go pretty run heavy in this one. So I, I actually am not like crazy optimistic about some of these like fantasy pieces outside of, I think McCaffrey of course is my RB one this week. How can he not be your RB one? Like pretty much any week, right. but, but outside of that, I like Brock Purdy's matchup proof. I think he's fine. He's like in the fantasy quarterback one conversation, but then suddenly Lamar Jackson, like you're, you're starting him as a fantasy quarterback one. I actually don't have super high hopes. Me like you, you, he is a top 12 option this week, but when you adjust for schedule, the, the Niners are the fourth hardest matchup for opposing fantasy quarterbacks, opposing fantasy quarterbacks average two and a half fewer fantasy points a game against the Niners than their season long average. Uh, Maybe without Keaton Mitchell, Lamar Jackson runs more. We, we saw him run a lot last week. Maybe they keep that going this week now that there's no Keaton Mitchell. But, mm-hmm. it, I mean, we just saw him struggle against Jacksonville. He struggled, uh, like, what, three, it was a three, four weeks ago against the Chargers, where the Chargers' defense actually looked kind of good against Lamar. Yeah. So I, I trust the Ravens overall as a team not to kind of phone it in. But in terms of actually putting up elite numbers for fantasy, I, I don't have all that much confidence in them. And I think that's kind of why in the betting markets, the Niners are like five and a half point favorites in most places. Correct. That's correct. You nailed it. That's exactly right. I agree with that wholeheartedly. I do think it's one of those games where both coaches look across the other way and say, it's a big fucking game. You know, Christmas night, under the lights, in Baltimore, crowd's going to be, you know, feeling it. You're, it's just going to have that feel. 
primetime game, uh, two playoff teams that might be seeing each other in the future. Definitely don't want to pull out the whole bag. Absolutely, you know, dialed in. Both defenses will be game planned and ready for the other offense. Like this is not going to be no joke. Now it's possible it shoots out. Obviously, any game like this can shoot out because there's great players on both sides of the ball. But I totally agree with you in terms of what Baltimore is going to try to do. I'm going to give you uh, an example. Look, I have one uh, super flex league where I have Dak Prescott, Patrick Mahomes, and Lamar Jackson. And I've generally just been playing the two best matchups. And in this particular case, I am sitting Lamar Jackson in the semifinals in favor of Prescott and Mahomes. Am I crazy? Uh, So I'm looking right now. I, I don't think that's too crazy. I have Dak and Mahomes ranked ahead of Lamar Jackson this week. Yeah. They are all in the fantasy quarterback one conversation. Oh, yeah. I, I'd prefer Dak and Mahomes right now. So yeah. I, I'm with you. I think Lamar Jackson's floor is 12 fantasy points. And right. I think the floor of Dak and Mahomes is going to be higher than that with these matchups. Yeah. No, I I, I, I do agree. I, I That's what I'm doing. And and it's, it's hard to bench Lamar because he does have – supernova upside right i mean you know rush for 120 yards right you know i mean he could just kind of be trying to play catch up and he's just throwing it all over the place and running for first downs and just racking up fantasy points at an incredible rate but it's also possible that they really put the clamps down it's hard for baltimore to convert and they don't get very many possessions and then you look up and you're it's late in the third quarter and he's done nothing almost, you know. So, you know, I get the upside downside, but I agree the floor is what I'm concerned with. And I think I'd rather just lock in two presumably uh shootout matchups for you know, Mahomes playing at home against Las Vegas should be able to score. And look, that that Dallas Miami game, I suppose Miami's been playing really well against the pass, but you gotta figure this is gonna be a bit more of a fast paced game. Um, Dallas is going to want to show that and Miami plays fast. So you would think even no matter what these teams are going to get it going in the air. Yeah. I I think this, this Cowboys Dolphins game is a lot more enticing for fantasy points. The game total reflects it. It's the, it's the only game over 50 points. So I, I I think everything you said there, I completely agree with. I, I think the, the Cowboys are due for a big bounce back after getting embarrassed last week against the bills. And, all reports indicate Tyreek Hill will return this week for the Dolphins, which is yeah. an obvious plus for them. So I think that's a game, at least for fantasy, that I'm much more optimistic about overall. Yeah, me too. Me too. Um, getting back to the CMC uh, situation, I, I had asked, um, well, I guess I'll just ask you, uh, is CMC the RB1 in Dynasty? If not, why not? I would have Bijan ahead of him, and it's because of value insulation. Same, I, I just think if you're number one at a position, you can tear your ACL and not that much happens. If McCaffrey gets hurt, you look and you're like, oh my God, this guy's turning 28 years old next year. He's got a huge contract. But if Bijan Robinson gets hurt, nobody cares. The, the Falcons get a quarterback upgrade. We would love that. Arthur Smith gets fired. We would love that. There's really nothing that can hurt Bijan at this point. He can only get helped. So that's usually how I think about it. Like when people talk about like dynasty wide receiver one with Chase and Jefferson, it's like both these guys had catastrophic seasons, all things considered, and nobody cares, right? Like no, no one out there is like, wow, look at this useless Jefferson or useless Chase on my roster. Same thing with like Patrick Mahomes came into this year kind of as like the dynasty quarterback one. He's had a terrible season by his standards. Nobody really cares. 
And I think that's really how we should treat whoever is number one at the position is even if they have a bad year, it doesn't matter. And I think McCaffrey's just a little bit too old and a little too close to year to year territory where I, I just wouldn't quite value him over someone like Bijan. It's a fair take, by the way. And and I would normally agree with you. And I think I have traditionally um, looked at it that way. One of the things that I've heard a lot of smart people say in in, fan, in Dynasty about the running back position is you really have to look in a two to three year window. And if you're looking too much further than that, at the running back position, you're doing it wrong. I, I would assume that you at least to some degree agree with that. And I tend to agree with that as well uh, for, for reasons you've stated and, and for others that we didn't. And if we're doing that, I would just say today, right now, you just mentioned that that CMC is your RB1, not only this week, but through the rest of the season. He's probably been your weekly RB1 as far back as you can remember. I don't know, maybe every week this Mm -hmm. season or something like that, something close to that. So he gives you the win, so to speak, this year, right now. If you're winning right now, there's no other running back you'd rather have for 16 and 17 than CMC. And then I would ask you, in redraft next year, who's going to be the 1.01? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, I think it has to be McCaffrey at this point. Right. I agree. You've seen like. (laughs) So two year window, if we're calling this one and next one, like you're locking up the, the, the RB one for the next year too. I mean the, the 1.01 for next year, I'm not suggesting that the age doesn't matter because it does. I'm not suggesting that because if you say, well, Jameer Gibbs looks like the fucking greatest running back we've seen in a long time, productive, fast, Mm -hmm. great offense, you know, I don't know how long that's going to last, but the offensive line is good. If Ben Johnson stays there, they're all good. Like there's so much good stuff going on there. Like Jameer Gibbs, like 21 years old. You're not going to tell me that I I wouldn't rather have eight years of Jameer Gibbs than two years of CMC. Of course I agree with that. But in terms of if we're looking at a two year, three year window, my gosh, it's a real hard to not make the case for CMC as the RB1 through those lenses. Yeah, I, I don't think it's wrong to have him RB1. That's just not how I do it with the running backs. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't have any pushback. I think if he stays healthy, he'll be the 101 next year. And if he stays healthy next year, he'd probably be the, the 101 the year after that. But <laughs> yeah, right. uh, at, a, yeah. at a certain point, like <laughs> yeah. age catches up to pretty much every sure. running back. We have to remember McCaffrey does have a long injury history yeah. and does get more touches than any other running back overall. Amen. At Absolutely. 200 pounds. Yeah. So I, I think there's definitely like warning signs there for him with his Absolutely. value insulation. But I, I kind of think like if you have McCaffrey, you just keep him in Dynasty. Yeah. He's not really yeah. a player I would trade for. He's a player where if I have him, I'm just kind of keeping him is how I think about it. Whereas like I would actively, if you do want a running back in Dynasty, I would be trading for Bijan Robinson just simply because it's either going to stay the same or get better with his situation. And I think it's going to get a lot better. And I think this conversation that we're having today, right now, changes literally in uh, like 15 days or whatever it is. Like right after, you know, week 17 is over, all of this resets and we go back and we say, okay. And I probably will have Jameer Gibbs ahead. And I don't know. I mean, look, Bijan to me is the best talent in in the league in terms of, you know, young talent. I I, I don't have a problem with that, but I do – 
think that running backs are only as good as their production, not as good as their talent. Like, I don't know. I mean, you know, JT is great too, but you know, if he doesn't produce, then, then what are we talking about? Right. So at the end of the day, that's Mm -hmm. all I care about. I do think Jameer Gibbs is that two way player who's going to be targeted, can be explosive. I'm almost happy that they, they don't give him 20, 25 touch uh, carries. You know, I mean, he only needs 10, 15 carries. And as long as he's getting those targets, he's perfect. Um, so I like mm-hmm. Bijan and Gibbs maybe over um, CMC, but in doing so, you are decreasing your odds of winning, you know, in 2024 by by some degree. Um, and I think that, you know, if you're a win now team, you know, going into a startup and CMC is probably not going to be the first running back taken in your uh, dynasty startup draft. I just don't think so. I think Bijan goes well ahead. I think Gibbs will go ahead. I think Brees Hall will go ahead. And at some point, you might have maybe a third round pick where you've already stacked a couple quarterbacks, or you know you've got a quarterback and, a, and, a, and an elite receiver. Man, if you just put CMC in that position, you know you could be winning your league in year one. And Mm-hmm. I, I think that's the idea. We are trying to win money in this deal. And so if you're trying to win money, I think CMC is a winning player. Hey, for those reasons, I'll be targeting him in startups a little bit too at the right cost. I, do, I normally don't take running backs that early, but maybe you go, you know, one anchor running back and then just, you know, smash everything else the, you know, with, 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 like you say, with wide receivers. Yeah. I think when you're in a startup, you're allowed to take one early running back and that's kind yeah. of where I cap it. You yeah. can have one fun pick. That's kind of a win now pick. Yeah. The second that you start uh, really stacking up the running backs is where yeah, it goes bad. poorly. Yes, it does. Uh, it's very rare that you are going to be able to hit on both the running backs whose value just maintains or increases. Yes. Uh, it's kind of like the position where you're playing with fire. Yes. So like you can play with fire once. You're probably not going to get burned. The more you do it, the more likely you are to get burned. I, yeah. I generally try to use almost all my picks on quarterbacks and receivers through like the yeah. first six, seven rounds in a yeah. dynasty startup, knowing that you can still get quality running back production for that year and future years just by churning waivers by making trades uh giving up a random second or third here and there early in the season when you think you identified the next running back to pop i think that's a much better strategy whereas it's a lot harder to do that at quarterback and receiver i couldn't agree more i love this take i mean i'm actually in the semis in 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 a startup we just did this past year and I was number one in the in the league in scoring. I'm I have a great team. I did very well. I still have my picks. I didn't I didn't do anything stupid, but um you know at least my first round pick. But um you, you know I, I I would say at the end of the day though the worst pick I made was Najee Harris right you know I, I have Jacobs and Harris and it's like why did I do that That's the dumbest thing. I mean it wasn't value mm-hmm. because it was a very sharp league so it was like sixth round or something like that. But you know the point of the matter is I was like oh win now, couple of win now running back. It's a dumb move. Even though I was able to insulate the rest of the team, I did a good job and I'm going to be able be able to be okay with that mistake. It was a mistake. It was a mistake. Mm-hmm. I look back, I could have had some awesome young receiver. I, I absolutely messed up. So at the end of the day, you're absolutely right. I think you got to really lean away from those running backs. And sometimes they're, they're enthralling because they're slipping and they're falling, especially past ADP, especially if you're in a sharp league. Um, if you're not in a sharp league, you don't really have to worry about it because all the knuckleheads will take them way too soon and you can just let everything fall to you. But yeah, it was a, it was a pretty sharp league and, and I got tantalized by the value, uh, a couple mm-hmm. of times and yeah, it's a mistake. I agree. Yeah. One thing I forget which podcast I, I talked about this on. I think I said it last year where I was like, here's the way that I try to think about this because it's kind of like the falling knife and you're like, Oh man, 
I can't pass up Najee Harris. It's the sixth <laughs> round right. in the way that I, and I think the way that we should try to think about it when possible, because it's very difficult not to just pull the trigger is uh, it's often like, wow, his value's so low. I'm just going to flip him. And it's like, well, and- by you selecting him in the startup, you have shown your 11 league mates. You like the guy best. Yep. So just simply being like, oh, the value was too good. I'm going to flip him. You have already declared yourself as the biggest enthusiast in the room. That's Anytime right. you select a player in that dynasty startup. That's right. So uh, I think that's what we have to kind of remind ourselves because it does seem like, oh man, I'm like, look at this guy. He's got like two, three more great running back years left. And uh, I mean, now here I have Najee Harris. He's averaging under 10 fantasy points a game this year. You can't start him. Jalen Warren's not going anywhere. Najee Harris is only going to get older and slower. Yes. Uh, he's kind of toast. A little toast. more hope for Josh Jacobs. Jacobs yes. is just really, really good at running back. I'm pretty yeah. like I have no idea what he's going to do next year, but I'm very confident he's going to be a bell cow somewhere. I agree. So yeah. I think that one's more okay. But again, it's like you don't want to take too many shots on goal with these running backs. Yep. Where like just taking Najee or just taking Jacobs, I think is how I would do it. Where you just choose one. Maybe you're wrong with Najee Harris, but at least like you didn't take two of them. Yeah. Because I think I'd rather have. Najee Harris and then like some stud receiver than Najee yeah. Harris and Josh Jacobs. No Even doubt. though like Jacobs was the better pick than Najee, I still like just either way. I just don't like yeah. having, like we said, like too many early picks on the running backs. Yeah. It didn't feel great when I did it. Um, and it felt worse and worse as it went on, but you know, you, you know, you learn, I mean, no, no draft is perfect. And that's kind of the point is like, you're going to make mistakes and recognizing them is actually the way to get better, you know, um, understanding what thinking led you to that mistake is actually even better than just recognizing the mistake. Cause it's the thinking. Cause I'm, I'm pretty good at thinking through these concepts. That's kind of what I do, but you know, it wasn't terrible thinking. It was, look, this is a win now group. There's a lot of guys going win now right now. There wasn't a lot of like trading of first round picks. So mostly everybody mm-hmm. kind of had a similar team. There wasn't anybody doing, there was a, a couple of, you know, sort of productive struggle ish stuff in my attempts to do so. I didn't get the value I wanted. People didn't want to pay up as much. So it was a, it was a, it was one of those reasons, right? So it all made sense in that uh, grander scheme, but still, bad pick. You know what I mean? So like, you go back and go, okay, I understand what I was thinking, but even in that, in those terms, I still need to lean into running back uncertainty as it always is. And yeah, if you're too heavy on, on running back, especially in a startup is the worst, is the worst. Sometimes you can get a little heavy, you know, you acquired Kyron Williams, you know, you, he was on your taxi squad or something and you, now you have him, but you had CMC and you know, you, you, you sort of acquired all the right running backs by like, you know, you, you drafted Rashad White as a a second round pick and and you know in the draft or whatever and so forth and so on. Well, you haven't you haven't overextended yourself with running back. You just happen to have riches in running back. Maybe it's time to sell in the offseason, nonetheless. But you know, it's not like you've misappropriated your team. You just did a good job of of getting uh, running back wealth. You know, that's a different answer, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I got I've got one I want to I want to finish with you on, and then I'll let you go. I know you have. Like so much going on. So I'm just going to ask you one. Let's do it. One thing that I wanted to ask. It was something that I had a big old conversation with Michael P. Duncan last week. And quite frankly, I have my own opinions. I'm just going to ask you straight up tanking in dynasty fair or foul. I think it's fair. Yeah. Uh, the way I see it is if you are setting your best fantasy lineup each week, I have no issue with it. What I have an issue with is when people are like, Oh, should I, should I start Patrick Mahomes 
or Will Levis. I'm going to start Will Levis. Well, I, I don't think you can though. do that. Why not? I, 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 don't, I don't think that's tanking. I think the way I see it is you should always have to start your best fantasy lineup. The way that I would say you can tank is by trading away your players because ultimately then you're being active. You're being a participating member of your league when you trade away good players for bad players in return. I, I think you should always start your good players. Obviously, like people are going to have a different idea of like, oh, like you started my wide receiver 30 instead of my wide receiver 26 or whatever. That's that's not tanking. That's just like a difference of opinion. When it's pretty egregious and people are literally putting out a bad version of their lineup, that's what I'm not okay with. So I'm totally okay with tanking in, in quotes in the sense of I traded away every single good player I had. I, I think that is totally fine. But I, I just really don't like when people purposely play bad players. And then I think the the wrinkle I like to kind of avoid true tanking, I, I really love what FFPC does with their dynasty leagues where the bottom six teams, the 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 eleven and twelve seed get a first round buy. And then the nine or the the seven, eight, nine, and ten seeds play each other in week fifteen. The winners then of those two games play the bottom two seeds in week 16, the winners of those games play in week 17 and whoever wins that consolation bracket gets the first pick and you kind of do the first pick and opposite. And I think that's a good way to kind of avoid the, the true full on tank. But if you don't have it set up that way, I think you, all you need to kind of enforce as commissioner is that people can't set bad lineups. The, the thinking behind that is like the NFL doesn't do that. Like it, it, Unless a team literally has like locked up a first round buy a week early, you never see a backup quarterback in there. Like the, like if Justin Herbert was healthy, the Chargers season is lost. He would still be out there. It's not like the Chargers would be like, let's see what we have in Easton stick. That's just not how these NFL teams run it. That's not how you should run your dynasty team. So that's kind of how I view it is like if you're, if you've locked up a, a buy and that week literally doesn't matter, then yeah, no one cares what your lineup is because you locked up a buy. If there's anything on the line at all, you have to have to start the optimal lineup. Yeah, so I I do disagree with that. And I'll tell you why. Because the optimal <laughs> lineup thing is it can can is a gray area. I don't like gray. So in other words, what what can happen is I I'm not playing Lamar, obviously, in this in this thing. Someone could say that's that uh, he's trying to, you know, then you're nitpicking each other's lineups, and there's no possible way to do so equitably. Now I did tank. I I have tanked I, because meaning I played like Mike White over Tua in a league, right? Because but here's the reason. I would say that that is not necessary. That's just the rules. I always say follow whatever the rules are. Now the the rule that you're saying, um, which is um, you know play your best lineup. That's that can't be a rule because it's not possible to litigate. Um, you know, now you're, yeah, you're, that's why I was like, if it's, yeah. if it's close on the margins, I don't care if, if you're like Tua is the starting quarterback this week for the dolphins and I'm playing Mike white, then I'd be like, okay, well, this is just, you're obviously choosing the wrong player. Yes. So on the margins, Correct. I really don't care. It's more, if you were like, but here's I'm going to sit McCaffrey this week yes. to play Gus Edwards. I'd be but like, if you do that, why are you uh, doing that? Why are you, why am I tanking? Right. Why am I tanking? I'm tanking because I'm, I need I have nothing to win except for a better pick. Now, what's the, what's the harm in that? I understand you'll say, well, the, the, the team I'm letting win is going to get a free win. Is that is that the negative consequence? Yeah, I just think in general it can upset the competitive balance where you don't really know what 
your score will do to the other team and then what that matchup will do to other people in the league. Yes. So that's why I think in general, we just have to start our good lineups. And if you yeah. want to tank, you should do that through trading away good players yeah. rather than purposely sitting your good so, players. So that's at least... I don't disagree. If I were so commissioning, I rule, that's what I would have in the bylaws. But would the just rule be like, for me, hey, the rule for me would be max PF is, um, it, it, you know, if it's not this other tournament thing you're talking about, max PF dictates um, the the draft order. So even by sitting all your guys, you're not you didn't gain anything, right? It's literally you didn't gain anything because we're playing your mm-hmm. weekly best ball lineup anyway for max PF, okay. which is what's determining, right? So so that one takes away even the auspice of even needing to tank in any way. So then the only reason that you're tanking or excuse me, the only reason that you're playing a bad lineup would be inactivity, not paying attention. You're dumb or you're cheating, right? It's one of those, like that's the only possible reasons. And so as long as it's not cheating, then you can actually at least talk about it. Be like, Hey man, did you know that you, you know what I mean? Like, and, and so for me, inactivity or gross inactivity um, and or collusion are both ex- expulsion worthy events, right? So, you know, so there we are. So now we can have a conversation about expelling you for something that is nefarious. Whereas if you're tanking within the rules, you're like, hey, wait a minute. I'm actually trying to help my team. I'm doing the best I can for my team. Mm-hmm. Change the rules so that I'm compelled to not do this because I don't want, because even in, I've, I've said in, in leagues where I've tanked, you know, a game or whatever. I do so and it makes my skin crawl. I hate it. I've, I've actually, I will look at the consequences. Like if I'm up against another non-playoff team, I'm like, well, I'm going to pass them in the rankings. I mean, that's their problem, but at least I'm not taking away a playoff mm-hmm. team or giving someone a, a, an edge in the playoff. I hate all True. that. So the rules I think are the things that should, that should change. Um, but uh, you know, as Chalk and I have said many times in dynasty, you're looking for an edge but never break a rule like win every margin and every edge you can, but don't break any rules. Well, you know, in this case, it's not a rule, but it does really fuck with people's uh, feelings. And I, I understand why. And that's why I think that it's important to have rules that, that don't promote tanking. And that's, you know, my fault in a, in a league or two where I've not set that up properly. Right. Um, and if your mm-hmm. commissioner won't consider these rule changes that help the competitive balance, then, then, that, that that's that's something that you should have as a conversation. I like it. Yeah. I this kind of makes me want to commission a dynasty league now. Yeah. I haven't done it yet. I don't have the time to do it. No. But I, I do think it's at least interesting how yeah. how you would set the bylaws and explore this because it's always finding the balance between getting as many teams as possible interested in participating. Yeah. And I say participating simply because if you're trying to compete this year or next year, you're participating in some way. Yes. If you think your team will be competitive in the next two to three years, yeah. what you really don't want is the person who looks at their team and they go, I really don't think I can compete this year or next year, the year after that, everything's terrible. And then you lose that person. You can't really fill that team because nobody wants an awful team. So it's kind of, how do we make sure that all 12 managers are in some way, yes. at least engaged in something? Each yes. Year. Yeah. And Larky, I'll tell you like this max PF, it's a great rule, right? And all that. But then what it does is it makes you want to strip your lineup down. So the way that you would tank for the 1.01 would be to like trade all your good players for either hurt players, non-productive players, you know, Marvin Mims is fine. You know what I mean? Even though he has value and he could be good or whatever, uh, or mm-hmm. picks, that's it. So you don't want anything on your team except for that. Because if, if someone else, especially is trying to get the 1.01, you have to like out, 
fucking tank them. And I'm in yeah. a league where like there's a few teams, I think three or four somewhere in that ballpark who have bench spots that are open, like 10 or so bench spots on a, in a dynasty league. Why? Because they don't, they just don't want any of these guys. So what's that done to the competitive balance of the, of the league is it's created a larger free agent pool where there's actually points in free agency. So it's, it, mm-hmm. it, it, it limits the number of trades because you can, you know, so it has a ripple effect too. So, and that changes the competitive balance because at the beginning of the year, when I played you, you had all your guys, but now that you're tanking, you know, mm-hmm. so I guess my point is, is that almost no matter what you do, there's always going to be these little idiosyncrasies, but I always say, if, if, if there's something that's occurring that the league doesn't like, change the rule, you know, figure out a rule yeah. that prevents it. Um, you know, I, I commissioned the league where it was just reverse order of standings. We got the first pick and this one guy early in the, in the, in the, in the, in the league's, you know, infancy, maybe second year or something. He tanked all the way. He just didn't even start a mm-hmm. lineup from week one. You know, which I f- find amazing. Like, at least see if you get lucky. And I mean, no, from week one, he just was a full tank the whole season, which to me is like a waste. I think it's like a hundred or two hundred dollar league. I was like, yeah, that's. <laughs> I mean, let him do it. I, you know, my my feeling was that's his stupid ass decision to do so. Um, you know, it doesn't make any sense to me. That's not. You know, it wasn't best for the league, but it also didn't really fuck it up. It's still going. It's fine. They're all still in the league and. I think he realized it didn't work either because it's not like, mm-hmm. well, now I'm good. It doesn't do it that way. That's not how it works. So I think when, once you're a more experienced player, like he was a sort of an inexperienced player and thought, hey, this is sort of a zig while they're zagging. In other words, mm-hmm. I knew he was actually trying to compete. So I wasn't going to say, you can't do that, man, because then it's like I set the rules. He thinks he's competing. He's not doing this nefariously. So for yeah, he me, thinks he's competing for the year after. He is, man. He's competing. He's going for it. So, you know, that's where it's like, well, make a better rule so that that doesn't happen. That's that's the job of the commissioner. You like it? I like it. That was a good rant to end on. Thank you, buddy. I appreciate you. I appreciate you. Tell everybody where they can find your awesome work. I know you're at the 33rd team, but like just some stuff that you've got going on because you've got so much shit going on, brother. Tell us where they can all find you. Yeah, Scott, thanks for having me. Was this like our third, fourth time At linking least. up on the mic? Uh, just go to the 33rdteam.com. That's where you can find my content, my team's content. We have a, an ultimate guide to the fantasy football playoffs out that Ryan Reynolds and I co-authored. Haven't seen anything else like that in the industry. The last time I checked, we're at like closing on like 50,000 page views. And I think it's worth it. Uh, that, that seems like a, that felt like a merit-based one where the article did really well. It was very hardcore, but... I don't think enough people actually do nuanced schedule analysis and finding micro edges there. So we have that. We had it for last week. We have it for week 16 and 17 as well. And I think that's pretty invaluable just to have that type of guide. And then for the actual NFL playoffs coming up soon, we're going to switch to a ton more betting content. So we'll have a lot of really, really fun betting stuff because we really know who these teams are once the NFL playoffs hit. And I, there's always a ton of player props out there. And I think there's a lot of good stuff there. So we'll kind of shift over into DFS and betting two weeks from now, because once the fantasy season's over, the fantasy season is over. Yeah. Well, not in dynasty. It's not, it's just starting up. Um, but I love it, man. And it, it is something I know a lot of, uh, a lot of y'all will be taking some breaks uh, in the industry after, you know, after week, well, 17 actually, because, you know, although the DFS streets continue and uh, they, they go right through the playoffs, of course. 
a lot of cool stuff. You're amazing. I, you, you mentioned how many times you've been on. I remember when, you know, I think I had you on when you had, you were, I mean, you were just starting. I mean, I, cause I, mm-hmm. I remember you kind of like when you sort of walked through the door at Twitter, you know, when you were like, hello, hi, what's everybody mm-hmm. doing here? I, like, I remember, you know, that I don't know, you know why, but for whatever reason we were dancing in the same streets. And, you know, so I, I remember you pretty damn close to your day one, um, you know, mm-hmm. in, in, in this atmosphere, I know you have a, a, a career behind this, um, but um, you know, uh, it, you know, in the, in the actual, in the actual games themselves, you used to do some stuff, but no, I appreciate it, man. You're awesome. You're, you become a friend and I respect you a ton and I know you're doing great work there and uh, go check out the 33rd team. Uh, check out Josh Larkey on Twitter at jlarkeytweets. And thanks for coming on, brother. On behalf of everybody here at the Undroppables, on behalf of everybody here at the Undrafted, on behalf of the greatest podcast producer to ever walk the earth, Michael P. Duncan, you have been joined by the great Josh Larkey. I am Jax Falcone. And we are out. <laughs>